When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, This is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludicrous. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holla at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. At State Farm, we're committed to uplifting Black futures. In collaboration with organizations like 100 Black Men and National Urban League, State Farm provides high school students with the opportunity to learn and apply best practice strategies for saving and investing, all while offering academic support, life skills, and exposure to college access programs to prepare these students for life after high school. Check out 100blackmen.org and nul.org to donate and learn more. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. But you can't equate the white experience to ours. We're just black trying to breathe. 195 years of black press in America. The black press was born out of such a need, mm -hmm. life-saving. Yeah, it was yeah. there to save lives. Yeah. Welcome. You are tuned into Monuments to Me, brought to you by Revolt. This podcast is a space for honest and relevant conversations meant to recharge Black women and inspire you on your journey. We're your hosts, Akila Friend and Ty McRae, and each week we'll be addressing a range of topics from self-care, entrepreneurship, to politics and relationships. Join us as we explore the ups and downs and bask in the joys of Black womanhood. Hey everyone, welcome back to this protected space for Black women and those who love Black women. I know y'all are not tired of that intro <laughs> because every week it's more and more true. You're tuned in to Monuments to Me brought to you by Revolt. And today we're having a candid, open, honest discussion on black women in media because we are four black women officially <laughs> in media. <laughs> we're your hosts. I'm Akila Friend. And I'm Ty McRae. And today we are joined by two special guests who have made their marks in the journalism field and the media field overall. We can say some things about them. We can talk about their Twitter, their IGs, their wiki pages, <laughs> etc. because they are very much socially visible, but we'll have them intro themselves instead. So my name is Sharon Reed. I've been a journalist for long enough, okay, and a black woman forever. You know, that's, I'll say this as part of my introduction. I decided a long time ago that I'm going to be me, all of me, and I think the audience is... Um, Respect that. You may not always like it, but they have to respect it. So I'm honored to be here. Well, I've been a news anchor in major markets, Atlanta, most recently, Cleveland. I've worked on national television. That's how I got my start as a correspondent 
most recently, I should say, morning host for uh, BNC. Okay, I'm in. <laughs> I'm so new to this. I've been a journalist for oh six years. I'm a late bloomer. I started off in education and then rose to director and then was like, okay, I got to beeline here and do something else because there's nowhere else for me to go. And so in that space, uh, with my father's transitioning, I did decide to live a dream of becoming a journalist. And so I was blessed by Black Press here in Atlanta that really embraced me, even though I went to school for early childhood education. They were like, no, you can still write. And I, and I did it. So yeah, uh, besides that, I'm a mother of three and I have a really uh, strong footing in the historian and preservation world. Yeah. And so that's it. I've won some awards, I guess. That's, I kind of knew I was like, oh, oh I guess I'm officially now. I was like, oh yeah, mom, I'm like a thing now, you know? <laughs> oh, uh, but my mom is like, yeah, you're still my seventh child. Get it together. <laughs> but yeah, because of them, I was able to live that dream. Right. Um, so that's my introduction. I love that. Yeah. Thank you both for being here. We wanted to start off with this question. We ask all of our guests. What is your dream for black women? To unapologetically be, authentically be. And to, I think one of the biggest dreams I have is for us to stop feeling the pressure to make everybody else comfortable. Mm. That would be special to just be able to exist and dream and live like other people get to live. That would be everything. Yeah, I love that. My dream for black women is to just find and be joy. It's mm. it's an ease and joy. It's a sweetness and joy. I grew up with black women that love joy and they weren't afraid to take up that space. And I learned from them by taking up space. They made space for me to be as fully as I am. But they did that all in joy. And so to just be and find joy, even as hard as it may be, it's just this sweetness in in joy so yeah Kat, I when i hear yeah. her talk it's like i want to go to your family's cookout. Right. <laughs> i really want to go to her yes. family's cookout and <laughs> that was beautiful joy i want that answer <laughs> wow between being and joy i feel like even in what we're saying and what you guys are saying it just media seeps through right because mm-hmm. when i think about media it's a, the joy of media the love of media that i have it's the idea of like you can't be what you can't see. And I think media has a level of just showing you what is, what perhaps is not right, but at least what is, right? It's it's no pretending oftentimes um, when it comes to what's shown. And so I just kind of want to talk to you both about what does it mean to be seen in your fullness and just to be comfortable with just being yourself? And what does it mean to really be joy or joyous in the constraints sometimes of the media industry? I realized early on, you know, that question for me, Sharon, of what it is to be seen. I knew how powerful media was and is, and I think, and maybe it's just because selfishly this is our field, it is the most powerful indicator of what is right, what's wrong, who can be seen, who can achieve, who gets what, how much of the pie do you get, if any. And so part of that motivated me, you know what I mean? It made me say, well, I'm going to take what I want just because, because I kind of knew there's people out there who I got to see. I grew up right outside of Philly and I got to see a beautiful Lisa Thomas Laurie, beautiful black anchor at five o'clock. 
And I didn't know how special that was. I just thought that's what it was, you know. Then I went to D.C. You know, I went to school at Georgetown, and that's Chocolate City. <laughs> I actually saw a black man and a black woman sitting next to each other. So that made me believe I could do that. But it's so powerful. And at the same time, I know we're talking about joy, and <laughs> but it, there I find these angry feelings because sitting on a desk and delivering through the lens of so much whiteness, you know, mm -hmm. I found myself having to weed through and fight and like a salmon, like swim upstream every day. I'm not saying that we can't do that just because the police say it doesn't make it true. And you're really dealing with people so often and that's why I love the black press, yeah. too, because, yeah. God, mm -hmm. when I was at BNC, you just get to be just, <laughs> where I don't have to do the yeah. swimming mm -hmm. upstream. I can just we can just argue the points and debate and do that kind of thing. So it's the weight that you feel. Again, that pressure. No wonder we're diamonds. You know, I knew early on that just being there was half the battle. Mm -hmm. That's true. What about you, Ann? Um, let's see. I always knew. There was power in the media because my mom and my father, I'm so let me just say this first of all. I'm Anne. Because <laughs> I gotta give perspective. I'm Jamaican born, Ghana raised, and my mother is a black Southern woman. Okay. So I knew wow. the power of media before I knew the power of media, right? right? My parents weren't big on TVs, they wanted us to read. If a book came in the mail from my grandmother, or whatever, I saw her coloring the pages black, right? And my mom is 75 years old, so mm. she would color it. She Not at that point, but today. So, right? And so she would color the pages in black. We would have all this black newspapers and stuff in the house. So I didn't, even though sometimes I lived in what would seem predominantly white spaces it was just like I just was like oh you know like whatever you know <laughs> and that was because every single day I got this new introduction to the world through the lens of black people I knew then and then my mother would let me listen to Marcus Garvey tapes one of my favorite quotes that he says is the pen is mightier than the sword but the tongue is mightier than both and when you think of that it's like it has to be the media, right? And he did like 500,000 newspapers around the world in 1920. Like Marcus Garvey is still before his time as a journalist and a publisher, right? So it's one of those things that I always knew there was something in the media. My mom would change channels. She would, it was just something, it was just the way my mother moved, what we listened to on the radio, the way my dad did things when it came to like us seeing and hearing. I knew it was just like, oh, it's in entertainment and it's in the media. Medias and news and the way we got our news was very important to them. Yep. So, yeah, I, I really do believe that black people telling their own stories is super powerful. And Sharon, you talked about having to filter through being in white spaces and white media. Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Because I really think the narrative, I don't know, we can argue whether it's intentional or not. The narrative is still doesn't feel one that feels true to me that I see in the media. So when you made that switch from predominantly white media to black spaces, what were some of the major differences you saw? Truth. It's truth. And it's not the same. You can't equate the I'm not white, but you can't <laughs> equate the white experience 
two hours. And by that, I mean, growing up black in America, I know by watching and seeing the differences, what it must be like to be white. I, I know how they do their hair and just the simple things Mm -hmm. by ignorance, by birthright. They don't even know what they don't know or choose not to mm-hmm. study it. There's a lot of smart people in the world. And, and I've always felt like if you wanted to know, I'm not Jewish, but I remember covering my first story that involved Jewish people. And, you know, I'm never afraid to say what I don't know, as ignorant as it sounds, but I didn't know between a bar mitzvah and a bat mitzvah. Okay. Right. I thought, is it, you know what I mean? So I took it upon myself, you know, after 9 11, the Sikh community was being just horrifically attacked. I didn't know anything about the Sikh community. I was just curious. Don't you want to know about mm-hmm. other mm-hmm. people? You know, I found mm-hmm. listening to your story. I that's so interesting. Yeah, Jamaican, the Southern Mother, Ghana. Yeah. Like it's a <laughs> yeah. wow. Like thing. I'm curious. <laughs> I'm naturally curious. Yeah. That's not my story, but I want to know. And yeah. so, the biggest difference is truth. You know, when you you look at the war in Ukraine, black people, and I think sometimes you can speak in generalities. Some of the most compassionate loyal, forgiving people. That's who we are. And we can look at the kids of Ukraine and and feel for the destruction and know what's going on over there. But the context and the larger story, just by the totality of it, mm-hmm. the wall to wall, this has gone on for months. And I'm not saying that it's right or wrong, but what I am saying is covering it through the lens of whiteness, okay? Mm-hmm. As if we don't exist, we're not saying that we we want the children or the people of Ukraine to be abused or, or taken over this sovereign country. Mm-hmm. But what about us? Yeah, no, nobody. It's always always last. You know, it's like, what more do you want? Wait your turn. Yeah, there's this announcement when you're doing the news about the police. Like, mm-hmm. not everybody feels that way because that's not legitimately our experience. Mm-hmm. And explaining that to some, the majority of the white colleagues I, I've had is disastrous. You're not even scratching the surface. This podcast is supported by Morgan Stanley. What do you get from the Morgan Stanley client experience? Listening more than talking and a personalized plan to guide you through a changing world. To learn more, visit morganstanley.com slash why us. Investing involves risk. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney LLC. I get to have the Black Atlanta experience because mm-hmm. I work in my press Mm -hmm. I get to have like that full immersion that I didn't grow up with I think I'm an honorary like Douglas or Mays person by now (laughs) oh wow but it (laughs) but it's uh it's one of those things for me it's like like Sharon said it Sharon said it is about the truth telling we get to tell the truth we get to sit around and argue about whatever the story is the pitch is and we get to say it in our own dialect whatever it is sometimes I go from like American English to Patois and it's just like figure it out keep up right Thank you. <laughs> yes but if I was in another newsroom mm. it would have been like okay how do I get this this so you can hear it the first time it's almost like playing double dutch I'm thinking also about the sustainability of black press of black mm. news in general as well as the you know economics behind that even though there might be an increase in truth mm. is there a correlation between an increase in truth and a decrease in the potential for you to gain the same sort of notoriety, the same sort of mm. profit, the same sort of, I think, 
respect that you should have as a journalist because you're serving the community and you're ser- you're talking to us as a people. A lot of questions or sub questions, I think, within that. But yeah. what, take what you wish. <laughs> For me, authenticity, notoriety. You know, you talk well known, and money's different. Yeah. Now, money's different. I think that there is this awakening and a fierceness that's we've always been fierce, but in recent times and George Floyd and just some other things post Obama, really, we're more brazen. Doesn't mean we're not going to get beat up, but we're more brazen. And what it's done is moved this honest in your face conversation even more to the forefront. And what I find is in talking to um, black leaders in the black press, Mm -hmm. you know, you have different, let's say podcast companies and in the white space who are finding themselves not able to produce authentic black content. Right. We've seen this before, you know, Elvis had some musicians around him. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's not a new thing. It's definitely not. And, and, and that means we're not, we're not always going to, that's why revolt is, is everything. And it really is. That's why it has to be here. That's why I was sad to see BNC go, even though you want a black owner. Okay. But making the content, the decision makings, well, sure, Cox can pick up the phone and say, hey, do you want to do a partnership? Because they can't do what you do. Mm-hmm. They don't know how to speak your language. It's different. Yeah. You can put, and I love T.J. Holmes, but you can put T.J. Holmes on Good Morning. But that doesn't mean, you can put Don Lemon on, that mm-hmm. doesn't mean, mm-hmm. okay. Mm-hmm. And when you do, and if you do, have some, because I think somebody like Robin Roberts is a real one. Okay, yeah. she's, mm-hmm. she's a real one. Mm-hmm. You don't get to be everything that you are. You talked yeah. about subgroups and, you know, we're not monolithic. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Which some people still don't understand. What's yeah. the black experience? What are you talking about? Right. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Hers is different than right. mine. Yeah. And so is her. Yeah. You know, like, I'm not, group, I didn't grow everything. up and got, yeah. And, okay. <laughs> but I'm, I, it's part of the black experience. Yeah. So there's so many layers to That's that. Like and layers. by the way, money matters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Show us the money. Okay, where's the money? It matters. So, yeah. yeah. For me, because I get to work with a black woman that got a business, that received a business through her dad, right? And she is just Janice Ware at the Atlanta Voices. She is just very strategic. So you get to see her business side and you get to see how the game was passed to her, right? So for me, it's always been like, why can't I make it in, in black press? Like, yeah, it might take me four or five, six years, as opposed to if I go to a CNN or whatever, it might take me shorter than that. But what am I giving up for the CNN, right? Like my mental space, my social, emotional, my physical, you know, all of that takes its toll in working regardless as a mother, regardless. So why am I doing that with my workspace, right? And so... When I weigh the pros and cons of going into the AJC even, right? Mm-hmm. I, I have no mm. desire to go to the AJC. Like, oh. none. Like, <laughs> it's one of those things that I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. Right? Not everyone listening is <laughs> yeah. But, oh, the AJC is the, I'm sorry. AJ, we get to Atlanta to be Atlanta and then talk about Atlanta. And all <laughs> <time>. <laughs> so, but 
AJC is the Atlanta Journal-Constitution here. So it's your local newspaper, right? No, but it, it it's parallel to the Atlanta Voice, which is a, the only African-American paper still in print in Atlanta. And it's the oldest one in print in Atlanta. So I, I have no desire to go and work for the AJC or the Atlanta Journal-Constitution as opposed to the Atlanta Voice. Like, who am I going to be able to be holistically myself with? Who am I going to trust with my stories from the community, right? Because I, while I'm out at events or whatever, people are pulling you to the side. Let me tell you something what happened, right? And it's like they're telling us. And then if you take it back, and I have been in one newsroom that it was kind of iffy, right? And as just a guest, like looking at what they do, uh, if you take something back, like, you know, I want to know about why there is trash on Bankhead, now Donnelly Hollowell, right? Like, why is Microsoft moving into the west side of Atlanta? That's one of the poorest areas of Atlanta. What's going to happen to them, right? Like, if you take that to the AJC, they need an angle. They need to be like, well, how is this really benefiting everybody? Mm-hmm. Like, wh- who else is saying something? You take that inside a black newsroom, they're like, oh, okay. Like, what is this? What is this about, right? It's just one of those things that I don't don't, I'm okay with taking the slow route to getting to where I want to be in, as a journalist. And we also, to be clear, we're also talking about two different types of journalists. That's it. Right? That's it. I'm in print. Mm-hmm. No, I don't. And, and I love, love anchors, right? Because I get to see the other side of what's written down, right? Like it's, it's being received differently. But I never had this desire to go and be in broadcast or in front of the camera because I just want to come out of the house. <laughs> Whatever that is, I'm like, not today. And and I'm Jamaican, so my mouth get real laugh if I'm like, uh, you go and figure out how to put on makeup and change a diaper of yeah. twins, right? So <laughs> it was one of those things like, what can I do that will always keep me in balance to what is true to me? Okay. It was, you know, it's two different types of, of worlds, but it's the same. I think it has the same, uh, some same through lines. You know, before, I like that you mentioned that too, because mm-hmm. we didn't really make that distinction. Yeah. So you talk a little bit more about print and what that difference was for you, but why did you decide to say anchor on air in general was more of your lane for journalism? I think that's probably just what I identified. You know, I mentioned that, that one beautiful black anchor. Right. And that's when I, I was always curious, probably a little nosy. I like to talk. You know, it was just a natural fit. My dad was a principal. My mom a teacher. I think had they grown up a generation later, they would have had more choices. That was respectable. That was great, you know. But I always felt like with my parents, they had limited choices. And so honoring them, the next step was not a job, a career, an extension of who you are. And so once I discovered Oh, it's this thing. I knew that, you know, this is me. So it it embodied everything. I do think now the lines are so blurred. You know, when I mm-hmm. think of the difference between print and broadcast, mm-hmm. broadcast journalist, well, we steal from print like thieves. <laughs> I love it's, it's terrible. <laughs> it really is. There is this um, inherent and I know people get mad at me, who are broad, but there, I've been in the newsrooms long enough that I get the right to say it. <laughs> There's this inherent laziness where, and and it really is dangerous because if we're ripping off in a predominantly white or majority media, the AJC, mm-hmm. well, then we're ripping off a point of view. You know, I like to say, uh, you know, these, these liars who say, well, the press is, you got to be objective. 
that's a lie. There's no objectivity. We're human beings. Even computers aren't objective mm-hmm. because human beings program them. Mm-hmm. So I always knew you have an obligation to be fair, but not objective. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like this whole Trump and this lie. The same people who are calling it out and pretending they were there from the beginning thought it was cute mm-hmm. and thought it was funny. And by the way, by definition, you can declare that someone has said racist things and misogynistic. Why wouldn't you? Mm-hmm. By not doing that, you're not being objective. It's yeah. in front of you. The house is on fire. You need to yeah. say the house <laughs> is on fire. And the inability to do that and the kit gloves and the tiptoeing. Again, there's a difference between black and white. Mm-hmm. You're tiptoeing around an overt misogynistic racist. And that mm-hmm. honestly brings up another point because another fight I would constantly have is this this political one where mm. They would say, well, we don't want, don't get political. Mm -hmm. Don't play the race card. Mm -hmm. There's no card. And we don't even have the luxury of being, I guess you got to check a box, Democrat, independent, Mm -hmm. if you want to. We're just black trying to breathe and survive. There's so (laughs) many issues that are all, you don't define us over here. And by the way, over here, you don't define mm-hmm. us. And the fact that we're tried, you know, forced into this box and the way that's covered is amazing to me. Mm-hmm. So, you know, now I just think that back to your original question, the streaming, the direct to market, the Jamel Hills who let's be clear about mm-hmm. a Jamel Hill. They tried to end her mm-hmm. that she was supposed to not be here. Not survive, not spit commentary. When you think about the things she was suspended for, what is the, what did she say? She said the truth and she got smacked just like a rogue slave in the fields would. They tried to end her. And the fact that she went direct to market. Mm-hmm. And that to me is our power. That's you it. know, that mm-hmm. so when a Cox calls and it's no, no slight to them or iHeartMedia or whoever the other ones are, Odyssey. When they call, form a partnership if you, if you want, yeah. or go direct to market. And if we as consumers respect mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. right, I want the voice yeah. because it belongs here yeah. and it serves our community. We were going yeah. there next. I'm so it glad is. you yes. did. So glad you did. The mm-hmm. online creator economy, right? Mm-hmm. Just social media in general, or a lot of folks who whether want to claim they're journalists, are journalists, just telling their <laughs> stories, right? <laughs> Shifting the visibility when it comes to Black women specifically to gain visibility for their work, but mm-hmm. also getting that power back when it comes to owning your voice. Just talk about the importance of going direct to market and yeah. wh- how do you really do that mm-hmm. while still trying to be I'm glad you went there because it's like a blessing and a curse. Like there is a beauty of just having the platforms of social media Mm -hmm. to tell your story. Mm -hmm. But then you, the vetting, because, and also a generational thing. Right. Like a lot of younger people, that's where they get their news from. And it's unvetted, sometimes unresearched. So I'd love Mm -hmm. to hear both of your perspectives. (laughs) At State Farm, we're committed to uplifting black futures. In collaboration with organizations like 100 Black Men and National Urban League, State Farm provides high school students with the opportunity to learn and apply best practice strategies for saving and investing, all while offering academic support, life skills, and exposure to college access programs to prepare these students for life after high school. 
Check out 100blackmen.org and nul.org to donate and learn more. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. <laughs> I'm going to say the direct to market situation is is interesting for me based on the fact that if you ever look at my social media, it's one of those things that I'm always going back to the voice. I'm always leading back to the voice. So for me, for if I go direct the market, it's like what one, what does that look like? But then because I love community and I love partnership, I thrive in partnerships. Mm-hmm. Like Miss Sharon just said, like it's one of those things that you kind of it's, it's weird. It's a thing that happens. Uh, and it, and I was an educator first, right? If you if I do that, what am I I I guess in the opposite I'm like, what am I taking away from the voice mm-hmm. I have to make that clear thought of like do I take this away from the voice yeah. when yeah. one knowing social media right it's a, the in the Atlanta voice is 56 years old right they have a great social media following but day-to-day social media there's nobody there for that like that right so it's one of those things that I'm always trying to figure out like I, I wouldn't want to get an endorsement or get somebody to support a story that I'm doing on my own without saying, well, I'm with the voice. Like I'm always going back to that. Like, because one, I'm, I'm only, again, it's only what, six years, maybe in 20 years, I'll be like, um, okay, the voice, I love y'all next. Right. <laughs> but like, it's one of those things that I just always want to be able to add to black press and the 130, actually no, we're 195 years of black press in America. So honoring just that legacy, I'm always pushing it back to whatever the black press is if it's even capital b which is the new babies on the block but i love them the capital b it's always a thing of like who can what black press can i connect with to say reroute my story because when you reprint it and print they have to go and get it from whoever the, the organization is or the institute is and then like say if a time ever pick up something i write they have to say this was first published in atlanta voice so now they're sending their readership to atlanta voice so it's always that thought of like how do I partner and yeah in that direct social media thing right Mm -hmm. and I mean I get it because to me there's a difference right and what you're talking about to me seems like black love and loyalty yeah you know would you feel the same and I know the answer you know I I think I know the answer if you were at a predominantly a majority news organization that did not always value or respect your story. You know what I mean? Would you feel that kinship, loyalty, misware, the whole thing? And I think that when we talk about the Jamel Hills and people going, you know, direct, I think it's so important because and and you mentioned these citizen journalists. And yeah, it's a problem that <laughs> I love that they have a name. Just, I didn't I, know. I, I, I didn't now, what classifies a citizen journalist? Because just so the truth I know. Is, <laughs> yes, sis. Okay. That's what it is. Oh and I have to be honest with you. Yes, it's a problem with the unbedded stuff. I mean, you just you can't yeah. just whisper what your homegirl whispered to you and then put it out there like it's fact. You got people who aren't dead and you're yeah. declaring them dead. And yeah. all kind of, so, yes, yeah. it's the wild, wild west. Yeah. But part of me loves it because... <laughs> 
That's real. I love it because I'm a maverick and it shakes it up and it ruins. There's this elitism in mainstream media and you can you can watch it. And there's like a certain cable station that I turn on and I watch and they don't even realize how they all sit at probably a table just like this. They all know each other. They live in like a two block radius and it's all in this one Upper East Side of New York. Mm -hmm. And everything is through that lens. Mm -hmm. And because I worked in places like Cleveland, you know, where it felt dark <laughs> 10 months of the year, but it was the most important training, mm-hmm. right? Because now I'm in the Midwest. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. And I don't necessarily think like everybody here. I wanted to look at some of my black neighbors and say, you know, we're free blacks, right? right. And we don't have to put out. <laughs> yep. We don't really have to do what they say. Okay. We, I can vote and do what I want to do. Okay. So it was like that constant struggle yeah. from all sides. Like, uh-huh. Wake up. I'm trying to start a revolution up in here. Okay. But at the same time, these citizen journalists, what they do is, People forget how we started. This was yeah. a blue collar profession, mm-hmm. a town crier type situation. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden you have people who go and they get these degrees and I look, I got a master's degree. So mm-hmm. what? Okay. Mm-hmm. It was a means to an end. You have people who actually shape views and minds. They sit in rooms in the morning and they say, here's what we should cover. And then one lady over there says, assignment manager. Yeah, there was a shooting in Southwest Atlanta. Oh, probably drugs. Mm-hmm. Code for. Black people, we're not right. going to cover that because mm-hmm. Cobb County viewers won't want yeah. that. The, the whole thing. Mm-hmm. So I love these citizen journalists. <laughs> Anybody with an iPhone is a journalist. Yeah. And they will be on and they'll tell mm-hmm. us the, the deal. So mm-hmm. I don't mind that they ruin things for other people. I think yeah. it's delicious and it holds us accountable. It does. That's, and it, it allows us to have that community voice because a lot of spaces, newsrooms, they don't, like they said, they just go over what was there. But when you have, you know, Miss Brenda was on the porch, Amen. we get it from a different view. So I do. You won't I, get I it all from Miss Brenda. Mm-hmm. I just think. Okay. The fact that she knows. That's she knows. right. <laughs> but it is, even if she does like a 3-1 where three of them are iffy and one of them are, <laughs> that one's going to take you to where you need to go. So, to yeah, to in that space yeah. of like I didn't know they had a name this is like new citizen journey they gonna it. burn the house down and <laughs> I'm gonna be watching with some popcorn baby do your thing so wait so what out of the blue not to like put anybody there but like would the scoopy citizen journalist yes oh. how old are your kids mine 14 and 17 they're citizen journalists okay <laughs> they got phone yes they okay <laughs> they look out the window snap a picture some they, video oh, and tell so it that is so nice there it is. Mm-hmm. There it is. That is so cool. Yeah. Oh, Put nice. it on your resume, kids. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's such a great perspective, yeah. though, because honestly, what I was looking at it more so is um, folks getting their start. Yeah. Let's say you want to do something mm-hmm. in like for me, I wanted to be in media. I, I went more the business route. But I knew podcasting talk show, not mm-hmm. like hard news is more so what I wanted to do. And so I started a podcast. And so yeah. we did this. And so we did whatever. And we talked, you know, but for me, the harmlessness of it all was more so I wasn't talking about the hard news. Or if mm-hmm. I was, it was literally my own thoughts and opinions, literally mm-hmm. from a 360 landscape type mm-hmm. of thing. And oftentimes, I think when you think of black women, you know, mm-hmm. black men as well, 
in media, sometimes that's how you have to start. You gotta, yeah. Oh, yeah. we talk about the idea of entrepreneurship and that mm-hmm. black women are out here creating their own jobs, creating mm-hmm. their own opportunities. Mm-hmm. It doesn't stop in this field either, mm-hmm. right? And so sometimes I, yeah, those citizen journalists, that's what you have to be, mm-hmm. do because CNN is not giving you mm-hmm. that job. You but know? That's, <laughs> how you st- that's how, to, to um, Sharon's point, that's how we started. Yeah. Like my first uh, newsroom, if you will, was on the front porch of my grandma's house with Thank her friends. You. I'm like, now who did it and mm-hmm. what? Yep. And yeah. You're engaging in their form of sharing the news yep. for the day. Mm-hmm. So it that's how we that's how we really did start it. All of us were citizen journalists. Come on. Look, you better coin that yeah, and take it. That's amazing. Cool. I never that heard that term before. Uh, yeah. That's yeah. not that's not an AP or anything that's just you? Mm-hmm. No, it's, it's a turnaround. Oh, no, really? What is that? I've heard it before. I've never, oh, heard, I've never it. heard it. But now yeah. we have a new form. Like yes. a new... I love she that. is so excited. Yeah, and you I are so excited by like, this. Go out to the water boys and be like, let me just tell y'all how to get a check real quick. I love a citizen journalist, but I also meet so many people who only get their news and perspective from social media. Yeah. And I'm like, how do we direct more people to black press? Because I think that could be powerful. Yeah. Mm. So you have one. I think one of the best things to do wherever you live is like Google black newspaper, like your local black newspaper and see what that is. Because some people don't even know they have a local black newspaper in their town. And then if you're on any social media, hashtag black press, hashtag black news, pull up so much organizations that are in the black press. The oldest one right now is the Afro-American. Uh, and that's out of D.C. in the nation. They're 130 years old. But you have a black press and then black press is going through this revitalization as well because you have people like Sean King, right, who did the North Star and you have the Amsterdam News in uh, New York. You have Capital B that's coming that is come has come online. You have so much digital black press as well that you can just put in black press and it's going to come up and that's for your most of the most of the time it, black press does cover hard news right it's very little like tabloidy because we can't i don't even know i have to ask miss where and them that like what do you think do you think that black news has because of the historical context doesn't want to do the, the talk i fun think things? that it, it's like this i was just thinking about this when you think about hollywood and there, there's another movie coming, Emancipation, Will Smith. You got Harriet that yeah. came out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Emmett Till, mm-hmm. the Till. That's the one mm-hmm. I just yeah. saw. There's not, I want these films to succeed, yeah. right? We're more than black trauma. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. We got yeah. friends too. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, to answer mm. your question, I think because the, bra- the black press was born out of such a need mm-hmm. life-saving yeah it was yeah. there to save lives yeah. get rights yeah get, you know yeah. basic necessities yeah. that perhaps like you said this revitalization yeah. this renaissance mm-hmm. we need to evolve yeah that's and true. you know your question of how can we direct people to the bus i guess i i on the one hand, I love Anne and her loyalty, <laughs> right? The, because this is it. Yeah. I can tell you were raised. Yeah. I, I feel like I can feel your grandmother. Right. Right. <laughs> but not everyone has that responsibility or sense of identity. And I do think that at the end of the day, it's a marketplace. Yeah. And black press needs to meet people where they are. So if people are getting, you know, it's almost like the question implies there's something wrong with it, you know, mm-hmm. like like kids 
you know, I would fight with people. You know, I like to fight. Right. But I would fight with people in the newsroom because they would say, well, why should I hire, you know, this 23-year-old? I remember as I leave in St. Louis, she's now in Atlanta, Courtney Bryant. She interviewed for my job. And my boss came to me. He said, can you spend some time with her? I did. She's at the Fox station now. And I found her to be smart and lovely and beautiful. And we had a private conversation. And I knew where she was from. And I said, you know, don't BS me. We all know where you want to end up. Mm-hmm. And she said, yeah. And after the conversation, I remember my boss, he valued what I had to say. And he said, I'm just scared. You know, she is pretty. Like he was excited mm-hmm. by the package here. Right. And she was competent. You know, it's up to her to decide whether she's going to be special and stand out in the crowd. But she was competent, more than competent. And I told him, I wouldn't care how old she is. If I see what I want and she can do the job, just like other people and nepotism and, you know, things that we don't usually get, then that's who you should hire. Because at the end of the day, again, this is a blue collar profession. It's yep. supposed to be. And you need to have different perspectives and point of view. Right. Mm-hmm. So I tend to think that if they're going to social, it's a different generation. Yeah. And I've worked long enough that I work with some pretty senior journalists who would say, well, we're just going live in front of a building and there's no scene here. Well, yeah, you are. And guess what? That, <laughs> the business has changed yeah. and they are going live for the sake of live. Now, yeah. you can either catch up right. or those same people were out of business yeah. before I, their time. I appreciate yeah. the additional perspective. Maybe it's bringing up my own elitism of like, I want... <laughs> The information that you're not going to get until you read to the fourth paragraph. Mm -hmm. And I want the depth and I want the historical context. And there's no way you're going to get that in a tweet. There's no way in a story. I was going to say, I need the tweet. Maybe. I'm like you. I'm like you. I do. I do. I to look more in depth if I want to look more in depth. Some (laughs) people are. You got to think of it this way. There's the New York Times, which is a deep dive. And then there's USA Today. Mm -hmm. Some people want USA Today. And because maybe that's not what you're consuming, that's not the meal that you're going to pick off the menu. If you want to stay in the game, I always felt like you could have your cake and eat it too. Yeah. You know, we're not just in the business of news gathering. It's a crowded field. Yeah. If everybody can have a podcast, everybody can stream digital, everybody mm-hmm. can have everything. Mm-hmm. So you need to stand out in a crowd. If you're on a dating show and there's one or two men, which I would never go on that show, <laughs> but if I want the, well, then I, I guess yeah, I got to put on my mm, pumps yeah. and try to figure out how to stand on the crowd yeah. if you're so inclined. Yeah. And I just think that we have to be creative. You know, I'm cooking dinner. You're dealing with your kids. I have bills to pay. I'm doing other things. So as a newscaster, I always tried to think of how I could, if a story is worth doing, you should be able to make somebody stop and pay attention. Yeah. Even if you're only going to have them for a couple seconds. If you can't do that, then you, why are you doing the story? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I True. will ruminate on that. So I have a question. <laughs> <laughs> a little off script. Um, both of you have had long careers. You in print. I'm sure you've written dozens and hundreds mm-hmm. of stories. You've been in this for decades. Are there? Is there a story that stood out to you that even years later, you're like, this is was powerful. People need to know. <sighs> Maybe it's one even you're working on now. There's so many. Do you want to go first? Yeah. The one I'm working on now is amazing, though. And I know it's funny because I know in 50 years, my babies are going to be like, yep, she did it. Yes. And uh, so, to, so 
looking forward in the historical sense is it's easier for me to be to know. So yeah, the story that I just completed is a story around the legacy of racial terror. And so that highlighted the 36 lynching victims in Fulton County, uh, Georgia, which is the largest documented amount of lynchings in Georgia happened in Fulton County. And Georgia's number two for lynchings. You and said 36? 36. 36 lynchings happened here, documented. And we got the 36th person on February 2020. <laughs> so that's just wow. right now, right? Because it's deep diving. So we're in partnership with uh, the Equal Justice Initiative, Brian mm-hmm. Stevenson in uh, Alabama. And so deep diving into that story and that history, it brought up something that my mother talked about regarding like the massacres and the Red Summers mm-hmm. and so forth. And so that continued to lead me exploring more of the 1906 Atlanta race massacre formerly known as the 1906 Atlanta Race Riot. And that literally is something that we are still looking at. Congress has wrote legislation around it. Um, It's in the Senate now. So it's literally, that's probably one of the most impactful stories besides, you know, there's a lot. I would say Ferguson being on the ground. You know, I was in St. Louis. I've not been there long, but it was eye-opening in a number of ways. The power of being fearless in black. I remember going, you know, we had unrest every every night and rightfully so. <laughs> you know, being able to go and know that no matter how much unrest and maybe it was foolish thinking, they embrace me. Where Blondie might sit in the truck, scared, okay? <laughs> because that's what they do and wait for you to approach. And now, mm-hmm. Blondie, is that you trying to join the interview? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It is what it is. <laughs> but the reason it was so eye-opening is because I felt like, I felt like I knew this yeah. country and, you know, you're young, you're righteous, you think, you, you know the extent of the racism, the filth, the whatever's out there. But I was stunned to know that there were people who look like us. You know, if you think about it, East St. Louis went through the riots. The massacre. Right. But, Mm -hmm. right, massacre. It was a massacre. But St. Louis never did. Yeah. And so I'm existing with my people and then white people. And it was like a throwback. People don't understand what Ferguson was about. Do you not understand how small that community is? And you, if you were black, you were arrested. If you went to the store for a Snickers bar, you got arrested. And if you couldn't pay these exorbitant fines, right, because mm-hmm. the, the whole town was living off the back of these fines that would triple it. Then you go to jail like it was this throwback medieval Jim Crow mm-hmm. And it was stunning to me. Post and people have, right. Yeah. 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 Right. That's worse than Jim right. Crow. But yeah. Right. <laughs> and people were existing in, in it both the perpetrators and the victims, as if this was, uh, it took hands up, Michael mm-hmm. Brown, to for us to kind of say, now what's going on up in here? And so that was so eye-opening to me. That and then coming back to the newsroom, because St. Louis is a different market and people don't realize it. Whether you even knew the intricacies, the man shouldn't have died. Yeah. Right. He should be alive today. Right. Mm-hmm. That's not how the story was covered. Okay. Not in that newsroom. Okay. This was a Twilight Zone. And I'd have my co-anchor antagonistically saying things like, uh, you know, when they shut down the freeway and go, just sit, they just sitting yeah. there. And if we have to be inconvenienced, I don't see why not. He's dead. And they'd say, I don't even know what they're, what are they asking for? What are they asking for? Right. You know? Mm-hmm. So that kind of story taught me that 
There are pockets all over this country. I was only half kidding about Cleveland. Mm -hmm. We are free blacks. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, the code for the white anchor who would say, well, we just don't do that in Cleveland. I said, well, I do. And guess what? I'm a different kind of newscaster. This is what I'm doing. But thank you. You know, (laughs) so it's just that taught me it's scary, you know, that this is there are so many Ferguson's out there. Mm-hmm. You know, where you can't walk yeah. Trayvon with some Skittles and a Snapple, that you better wake up. Better wake Black up. press is necessary. And so are citizen journalists. Yes. Yes. I want to just like, because between the two of you, Ferguson or even your, your letter to black men, mm-hmm. I'm just thinking about the nuances of just being a black woman mm-hmm. in this field. You know, obviously we talk about black people and the importance of black news, et cetera, et cetera. But just being a black woman in media mm-hmm. just talk about the nuances there that you can't necessarily expect necessarily from a black man mm-hmm. you know because even within it's we're all together <laughs> but the stories are very different in terms of what you both shared just now and mm-hmm. so just expound mm-hmm. on that a bit and i'll add one thing to that mm-hmm. even just the representation and how we talk about issues relevant to black women i think black people get so little airspace yes and, and, then, and then within that black women and the topics relevant to them get even less airspace. So how have you two navigated that? For me, it was, um, I tried to pay attention to the subtle things. Number one, when you talk about media, in the newsroom, there are no black men that I worked on. That was a subtlety. And then sometimes you had to be over, you know, I'm old enough to remember when Ronald Reagan died. And I don't want to say the, the falsehood what was perpetrated was uh, this Hollywood is something else. <laughs> I cried watching. They timed mm. it just right. The sunset and the casket and the, mm. it's in Simi Valley. Mm. It was beautiful. Mm. I shed a tear at Ronnie Reagan. Then I had to remember. Okay. <laughs> yes, okay. The facts on this. Okay. <laughs> and I don't wish him ill will. I don't agree. Whatever. But I'm just saying that they rewrote. This is what we do in America, right? Mm-hmm. Rewrote right. history. Yeah. And I remember going into the newsroom and because group think, mm-hmm. and that's mostly mm-hmm. broadcast, not print necessarily. Mm-hmm. Broadcast group think is what we do. And it was these, you know, you go to a corner of this and that, and Ronnie Reagan, how do you feel about Reagan? And about after two days of this, I had to be overt with it. And say, you know, there was another Ronnie Reagan that black people, I thought if he won, I was remember being a kid, small child, and I thought we'll be slaves again. I know, we are still dealing with Reaganomics. Right. I thought we'd be slaves. And my parents were like, well, you know, because I would hear them talking. So, and I had to say, you know, that there's a lot of black people that don't feel the way this is the old Gipper, you know, was that it was the Gipper, right? (laughs) And I'm thinking, so those kind of things where it's just, through that lens, mm-hmm. you know, you yeah. saw it with Katrina mm-hmm. where they're calling. I remember saying mm-hmm. they give me this copy and it's calling these people refugees. Yeah. It may be technically correct. But I said, why would I call them refugees? Well, that's what CNN says. I, said, I don't care what CNN is saying. Yeah. If they look like they came out of Madison, Wisconsin, you wouldn't be calling refugees. You call them refugees because you it it harkens back to like Haitian refugees or yeah. something. Mm-hmm. And that you wouldn't be calling your neighbors and your fellow Americans yeah. if they were from Madison, Wisconsin. 
refugees. Right. Well, thank you for fighting the good fight for us in every newsroom. <laughs> it sounds yes. exhausting. Yeah. It, really, oh, God, it yeah. sounds exhausting. Mm-hmm. For me, it's one of those, again, it's the privilege of being in black press. I don't have to, I don't have to do much fighting. Mm-hmm. Like I had to, I have to like fight through some stories, some story pitches that I'm looking like, now you know, goodness well, that, that. <laughs> right? And I have to, I think the only time I, and I, the funny part about it is African American press was created for that reason reason because mm-hmm. the only time we were showing up in press is when it was a bad, bad thing, thing right yeah. and lynchings and so when the freedom journal was created it was created to celebrate to do birth announcements and wedding announcements and all mm-hmm. this other stuff right and so and a lot of black men have always had their voice in black press but also the black women that you see in black press they're publishers Mm-hmm. Right, they own the paper. Excuse me, they own the paper. They own the rights, the co- the intellectual property. Right, and so that to me is always like the celebration is something that I just enjoy being a black woman in black press, but also celebrating like you, you know, Javita Moore, like these people went out and, and broke barriers, right? The integration of black journalists and black anchors started in the sixties with the civil rights movement. White press knew they couldn't go into black, black communities. So the way they do, they pulled out the best of the best and took them to the CNNs and the times and the New York Right. And so it's one of those things that you are very proud to see the acceleration in the whole media industry of black representation, although it's still needed. Black women are still needed in that. And then but you also I also love the fact that black press has never went anywhere and we're just still, you know, chugging along and doing what we do. Equally needed. Just equal. Even more. Right. Mm -hmm. Even more. Because you can look at the same stories in black press as it was. (laughs) in white press and it's just like now y'all know this is some foolishery Mm -hmm. that's that's, that's gonna be my new Instagram account right it's six side by side yeah. Yeah. let the first one be, be the 1906 Atlanta race massacre yeah. or the, the, the 1921 Tulsa mm. let it be and show like mm-hmm. black press is always called the 1906 Atlanta race riot on the front page of the uh, Independent, which is a black newspaper here, mm-hmm. it said the Atlanta massacre in 1906. Wow. What are you talking about? Like, wow. why am I now fighting for it to be called a massacre mm-hmm. when in 1906 black press told you what it was? Right. So it's also that space to hold our history. And when people are ready to know the truth, they can, they have a resource to come back to. You. I love that. Mm-hmm. That's right. How can people find you, stay in touch and support your efforts? This is a question for both of you. Sharon, you want to go? Sharon, read live. You can yeah. find I mean, you know, pretty much everywhere. Um, and then who knows? The best is yet to come, we hope. Okay. Yeah, BNC should be coming back, right? I don't know that BNC's ever going to come back. Byron Allen yeah. bought it and mm-hmm. folded it into the griot. Um, oh. So, but that doesn't mean there can't be. We still have a revolt. Yeah, we do. We do. And we love Revolt. Um, And he'll bond on everything. Literally, that's just what it is. Yeah, I love that. That's it. That's all. (laughs) Yeah, but, you know, it's... um, it's interesting that how do we get to, you know, revolt is revolt, but we need 10 revolts, right? Mm-hmm. So it's one of those things that we, I think, collectively as women, as men, as black men and black women, especially in Atlanta, need to have that thought. Like, there needs to be another revolt somewhere, right? That's why I was like, isn't BNC coming back? 
what? Mm. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> there's, there'll be something else. There'll be you know? something else. Yes. yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amazing. You all are amazing. Thank you guys. You. Thank you for having me. Yes. I appreciate it so much. Yes. This was great. This yes. was really good. Now that's a wrap for our guests, but not for our episode. Keep listening as we share our insights and all our thoughts on what we just discussed. So you know what, Ty? Let's hop right into it. This is MTM Reflections, where we debrief our segment. We talk about the guests, we talk about our own opinions, and we talk about some facts on these topics that we know are super important to you, to us, and to the culture. We are here for the debrief after an amazing conversation with two incredible Black women in media, Sharon Reed and Anne Hill Bond, and we talked about all the things. One thing I'm taking away is, honestly, career shifts. While they're both Black women in media, one started out as a teacher and is now writing for the only print publication in Atlanta, and one woman, Sharon, she is shifting and exploring her career from predominantly white spaces to a predominantly Black media outlets. And as someone who's going through my own career transition, I always find that inspirational, that it is never too late. And there are many ways our careers evolve over time. That was just one of many takeaways. I learned a lot about how important it is to have Black women in the room advocating for how Black stories are told. And this renewed my feeling and my deep knowing that it's so important for Black people to tell their own stories and to own the outlets that tell their stories. Because there's no objectivity in media. And I love how one of the guests really pointed out that the concept of objectivity is almost a farce. And it's really about the filter through which we see the world and we need to be honest about it and have outlets that filter stories in a way that respects the truth and the nuances of what's happening in Black communities everywhere. So this was a powerful conversation. I hope you enjoyed it. You know, it's really interesting. I always think about what my dream is for Black women, and I hope that this week, Black women listening, find a place where you can tell your story unfiltered. There's so many places where we have to change how we would say things sometimes, or we feel that we have to change the way we would say things to make it palatable for a specific audience. But I hope everyone has a space in their life where they can tell their stories unfiltered. And I hope you continue to support Black media. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into Monuments to Me. A special thank you to Revolt for creating the space for Black women to have important conversations. If you liked what you heard today, and we are so sure that you did, then subscribe, leave a review, and tell a friend to tell a friend about your new favorite podcast. Head over to Revolt.com to stay connected to all things Monuments to Me. And follow your hosts, Ty and Akila, on Instagram. The link is in the show notes. Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. 
When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, This is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludicrous. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holla at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois.